You know, it truly is a, it's an honor, it's a privilege to be able to share Him with you. And it's something I never take lightly because I don't want to be someone that shares about Him. I want to be someone who shares of Him. I want to be able to bring a living, revealed word not my version through my own ability to study something, <clears throat> but through humility to receive the substance of heaven and then bring it that the Holy Spirit may impart it into you. The Bible says if we can hear his word and believe and accept it by trust and faith in him, then it has the power to perform its work in us. So if the word is performing its work in us, then we are a changing people, aren't we? We're maturing. See, we mature through the receiving of the word. So we must receive the word to be able to live this new created life. It's something me and the guys that I'm walking with, we've been discussing that we are sons, but we must come to know what that really means to be able to live as a son. Otherwise, we will live as an orphan, even though we have a father and a family that we're part of. You see, it's not enough just to say, yes, I am a son. That's awesome, but it's the starting place of then living as a son. And as a son, like the son. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the reason you're able to live like the son is because you receive the word. And Jesus is the word. So I'm receiving more of Christ in me being revealed. So then I don't try to follow. I will just naturally follow. I don't try to be a Christian. I just be one. It's no longer works. It's just who I am. I, I imagine you don't try to be yourself, do you? You just be yourself. Well, that's exactly how we are to be in Him. We just be Christ-like. But to do this, we need to know this thing called love. And God is love. So we need to know God. And God said, Greg, I've given you a divine nature, son. You were born in sin and iniquity, but I'm giving you my brand new nature. I'm imparting my nature into you. Firstly, not my character, my nature. See, this is, a, this is an area that we need to come into because we talk about the character of God, but I'm convinced there is a nature and a character. And we talk a lot about character, his holiness, his righteousness, but we don't talk so much about his nature, love, joy, peace. Our first place perspective I hear a lot is to go to character. I believe that's symbolic because we need to actually come into more of his nature. So then we talk about the nature of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the peace that guards my heart and my mind. You know, you, if you have the peace of God operating in your life, you don't have wrong thinking. You don't have stuff in your heart. Why? Because the peace is guarding my heart and my mind. It's part of the armor of God, which is Jesus. You see, we're in a world where people are 
thinking, their thinking leads to all sorts of lifestyles. It all starts in the, in the heart and the thinking. We worry, and worry leads to what? A whole lot of stuff. But why are we worrying? Because we don't know the peace that guards our mind that never thinks. So the thought never enters the head because the peace of God is guarding it. The offense can't come into the heart. Why? Because the peace of God is guarding it. But see, this has to be a real tangible experience for us. It can't just be in a book. It can't just stay here. It's this coming alive in here and in here. So like Jesus was the word, the word becomes living in me. And the word, the word richly dwells within me. So I have the power of the word. So when the opposition and the thoughts come, they just ping off. This is the life that you are predestined to know, to have, to experience, and to live from, not toward. So much of Christianity is, I hear it, is, is trying to grab it out here. One day, I'll get there. The day is now. The day is already. It's a living from, not towards. Heaven has come to earth so it can live in its vessel called the church, so then we can live from heaven. Not towards it. Can you hear what I'm saying? One position is handicapped. The other one is full of power and life. I get up and I'm more consumed with sonship than I am my sin. More consumed with my sonship, my sainthood. Not what I'm not, but who I am. So I live as I am, not who I'm not. Some of us know more about who we're not than who we are. And we need to know who we are, not who we were. That guy's a dead guy. And it's exciting when you come to know him because he's so kind. So he's patient. Last week, he's kind, man. Do you know how kind he is? I'm going to tell you today. Hope you capture it by revelation. He's so kind. <laughs> he's not some grumpy guy. He's not grumpy with me. He's not angry with me. He's way better than what we believe he is. He is so kind. He's so compassionate. He loves me and you. And he's so kind towards us. But is that our experience, guys? What is your experience of God? Is he kind because of your perspective? Is he angry, always annoyed? You can never satisfy him. You have to perform then you will live that life out on earth. And that is not the life you were predestined to live. He wants you to know how kind, how good, how gentle, how faithful, how trustworthy, how he can provide for us all. And kindness is just one of the 16 attributes of God. And God is love. And we're going to look at scriptures that say, you know, the kindness of God leads us to repentance which means it leads us to the place of turning and then constantly living that way, no longer that way. At 29, I repented of my sin and iniquity. I said, Lord, it's time to let you truly be Lord and stop playing around. I'm allowing you to be the Lord of the vessel. So go to work. I don't want my life to live outside of what this is any longer. 
I'm sick and tired of being a hypocrite. I'm sick and tired of saying one thing, living another. I'm sick and tired of that. It's getting me nowhere. So Lord, be the Lord. It no longer is Lord in words. It's Lord in action. And then he says, some, awesome. Now, because I'm Lord, I want to renew your entire way of thinking. Because your thoughts are not mine and your ways are not mine. And you need to come into the life of the mind of Christ. And I'm so kind and gentle with you. I'm going to take the time and I'm going to be patient. And when you get it wrong, that's okay. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go again. And when you get it wrong, that's okay. Because all it is is an opportunity to learn and grow. And it says the kindness of God leads a person into the word. And so as the word is pure milk, a baby grows in strength and salvation. So our salvation is directly linked to us understanding the kindness of God. You see, if we're not growing, it's probably because we don't know how kind God is, because we think he's grumpy. Grumpy people aren't nice to hang around, are they? (laughs) Not really. People are always groaning, moaning, whinging, whining. It's never this, it's never that, it's never this. And, you know, it's everyone else's issue, but... Mine. How many people want to hang out with those people? Now, love covers those people, and God comes for those people, so we are too. But at the same time, it's like, man, come on, do you want to live like that? Do you want to always live like I'm not rather than I am? And so God's so kind, and the kindness comes. And as we receive, and the Bible says, taste, taste of the kindness. Right now, think about the most kind person you've experienced in your life. Who might that be? A mum, a dad, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, a friend, a work colleague. Who would it be? Think about that person, how kind they are. How kind they've been to you. Maybe when you didn't even deserve their kindness, they were still kind. Maybe someone that took the hit when you should have taken the hit. I remember my young brother taking a hit for me when we were in Napier growing up. And um, <laughs> I remember my mum and dad saying, well, you got to go to bed. And our older brother, Keith, he was looking after us. And we said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went to bed and I said, hey, Marty, come on, bro, let's, let's, let's sneak out. Keith won't know. He said, what are we going to do? We'll have a bike race. This says Marty had only learned to ride his bike. He just learned to ride a bike without supports. I said, come on, bro, we'll have a race, you know, right? Night time. Anyway, so he said, okay, that'd be cool, bro. So get our bikes, you know. I think Keith was watching the telly. We sneak out. And it was sort of like about, I don't know, 8 o'clock. So it was sort of like getting dark. I said, right, the racers were going to the end of the street. We lived on a cul-de-sac back. Okay, go. <laughs> going like the clappers, I'm miles ahead of them. I'm like, woohoo! Beat them, you know? I turn around to see the bike going like this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no! And, he's like, eh. and all of a sudden the bike veers off the road, smack into the corner, into the, uh, what's it called? The curb, thank you. Over the handlebars, bang! Head first onto the concrete. I split. <laughs> I get up to him, it's dark, I'm looking, I see blood, I'm going, oh, you'll be all right, bro, come on, it'll be okay, be good. He's like, I think I'm really hurt. I said, 
oh no. And oh, because I'm thinking, oh no, mum and dad, mum and dad, mum and dad. So we get home, we try not to disturb Keith. I've got, I got a, a flannel, and I'm packing the flannel on his eye. And I thought, oh, a band aid will fix it. They reckon it fixes everything. Put a band aid on it, blood's still coming down, blood. Oh no, we're in trouble. <laughs> so then we have to make the dreaded phone call. Um, yep, well, first we have to tell Keith. Poor guy, he got in trouble for that. <laughs> Mum and Dad had to come home. What happened? Uh, um, sort of out on our bikes and Martin took the hit for me so whose idea was it? he said it was ours and I'm like you'll go with that (laughs) that's the truth so help me God Um, but he took the hit that night for me because he was kind Who's been that person that's been kind when you don't deserve it, but their kindness covers? And that's who he is for us. His kindness covers our hypocrisy. His kindness covers our lack. His kindness covers our stubbornness. His kindness covers our laziness. His his kindness covers in the hope that we will awaken to how kind he's been. So then we'll actually realize who we are and start living as the church in this full measure. And so we have these opportunities. And I love John for John 17, 24 to 26, because as you look at that, and I'm not going to read that, but it says this, the love that God loved Jesus with is to be the love that is in us. Is that the last part there on the scriptures? So, and I have made your name known. So he's talking about his father to them. Who's them? The disciples. So Jesus is saying, Father, I've made your name known to my disciples, and I'm going to make it known. So it's a continuous process. So that, okay? Why? So that the love with which you, Father, love me may be in my people. That's crazy, isn't it? So the love the Father has for the Son, Jesus is saying, I want that love in you and me. And this is the whole prayer of John 17, that we would be one. You see, the more we're one, the more we're in love, the more we have love, the more we can actually be the very church he says we are. And then a lost world would actually stand up and take note, not because we're placarding, but because we're actually loving Not even through our action, just through being. Do you know the more you're in Christ, you just release Christ without even recognizing it, and it shifts the atmosphere in a room. When Jesus walked into places, the atmosphere shifted. Why? Because of the presence, the love that was in him. He wasn't trying to do anything. He was just being there. It actually upset a whole lot of people from him just being there. But then when he opened his mouth and started to speak, then he really upset a whole lot of people. You see, when love and the truth come out into the atmosphere and the mind engages, it really tests the heart. But his kindness propelled him to come and be in all that situation anyway. What for? 
to see people rescued out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light is to be in us. That's pretty cool. Do we have a reference for God's kindness this morning? Do we associate God as kind just as much as we associate Him as being holy? So do I have a reference for God as patient just as much as I may have a reference for Him being holy and reverent? Love has no reference for what it's not. <laughs> Love has no reference for what it's not. It only knows what it is. That's powerful, man. Love only knows how to be what it is, kind. Love doesn't know how to be unkind. So the more we know love and have the Father's love, like it was in, Jesus, in us, do you think we're not going to really know how to act unkind? If love only knows how to be kind and love is being perfected in us, that means we will not know how to be unkind, does it not? Because Jesus was never unkind, was he? See, this is the challenge for us because Christianity is so much more than institution. It's so much more than turning up and just ticking boxes, singing songs, put money in buckets and doing stuff. Christianity is the transformation of our lives. And it's to be so real that Jesus becomes the very life source of your life so you can live like Jesus. Outside of that, that's Christianity. So if we're not in that, we're not in Christianity. Which means we have a form of godliness, but we lack power because we can just have a form of it, but we've got no substance. So we're not godliness, we just have a form of godliness. That's not why he came. He came to bring us into godliness, not to have a form of godliness, but if we deny the power that creates godliness, we're in trouble. <laughs> Ears to hear. What I just said was, get in love. You want me to simplify it? Get in love. This is what happens when you're in the Word, man. I tell you, it bubbles over. You try and press it down. What does it say? Press down. Okay, some questions for us. What is our innate belief system when it comes to love being kind? What is our innate belief system? Not what you say in your head, but what actually comes out of your heart. Do you really believe love is kind? Do you really believe God is kind? If we do, then our lives will start reflecting it. If I just believe it in my mind, yeah, he's kind, yes, he's this, but my heart doesn't capture it, then my life won't reflect it. My life will reflect the opposite. Okay? Do we believe love, God is kind, or do we believe God is the opposite of this? Is God's kindness primarily based on what happens to us? I hope not. So if our version of kindness is based on what happens to us, we're in trouble because Jesus was crucified for being kind. wasn't going well for him. Men and women were killed for the gospel. We have this really warped understanding that if God doesn't actually bless us, then he's somehow not a God that blesses or he's not kind or he doesn't love. If things don't quite go the way we think they should, all of a sudden we blame God. We go, where did you get your Christianity from? A wheat bix pack? Like seriously. That's a different gospel. 
So if you bought into everything goes well for a follower of Jesus, that is not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus invites you to. He says, I will give you peace, joy, but there will be much tribulation, much trial. You will be persecuted. You will go through, and they'll probably kill you for believing in me. That's the gospel. But you're already dead because you're a dead man walking, and I've resurrected you and brought you into a brand new life, and it's a life of love. It's a life of kindness resurrected power to be able to actually love in the face of opposition and not respond in the spirit that's coming at you, but respond in the spirit of Christ. So you're able to love your enemy. You're able to pray for your enemy. You're able to give to your enemy rather than stab them, shoot them. You can do what he did, which is to be kind to your enemy. The Bible says it is easy to love one you love. Even the sinners do that. That's not the standard. The standard is to love those who hate you. There's the standard. Man, Jesus made it harder. <laughs> he did, eh? You just think you're going on, okay. Lord, I'm ticking that box. I'm ticking that box. I turned up four weeks in a row. I'm ticking that box. He goes, that's not the standard, Greg. The standard is beyond your ability. The apostolic standard that God calls the church to is beyond its ability. That's what makes it the church that overcomes because it's come into receiving the power of God, the love of God that enables it to overcome and live to a standard that's beyond human physical ability. That's why the human ability must break and fall on the rock and get smashed into pieces so it realizes, I can't. But in you, I can do all things through your power. So there's been a transaction, which now means I can be kind. But unless I've gone through that process, I'll only be kind to the measure of my humanity, which means I'm no different to the world. I'm no different to the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, the this and the that, because everyone has the ability in their human nature to be kind, because we're all made in the image of God. Only to the point, though, where that person's behavior if that rises above my ability to be humanly kind, then I'm in trouble, aren't I? I'm kind, just don't mess with her, otherwise you see angry man come out. I'm kind until you touch my kid, then you'll see angry man come out. I'm kind until, until, until whatever you touch something that I don't want touched, then you won't see kindness, you'll see anger and hatred. Well, then I've just killed someone, Jesus said. Can you hear the standard? But God says, my love is kind. Not based on your behavior, but on how good I am. So I, I come. Let's just go to uh, we can go Romans 2, verse 1 to 4. And I just want to read this. And then we're just going to go to a passage which it demonstrates God's kindness, which we'll all hopefully know well, but we'll know the story. So Romans 2. Verses 1. And once again, this is a, it's a big picture of the gospel. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, from which that you judge another, you condemn yourself. 
That's powerful, isn't it? Don't self-righteously judge anybody. I said this the other week, there is discerning judgment, which is not self-righteous judgment. This is what he's talking about. If you self-righteously judge another, you will be judged like that. It's not good. Jesus really disliked hypocrisy. You brood of viper. Okay? That's where it goes. And it's fully possible for us to self-righteously judge. It needs to be repented of, broken off our lives, so we don't ever, ever do it again. Okay? For you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Can you hear the seriousness? Okay. But then look at this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? So to self-righteously judge someone and condemn them is to really not know kindness, tolerance, and patience yourself of what and how you should be sentenced. So do you think lightly? Which means, have you had your mind renewed to your true state of being before Christ so then you would never self-righteously judge another human being? Because none of us deserve how God loves us. It's not our behavior. It's not being, I'm, I'm evil. I'm dead in my sin and transgression. That's not why God loved me. He loved me because of him. But as soon as, if I'm in that state and I start judging Paul in that state, man, I'm in trouble. He says, do not think lightly, which means you need to get a revelation of how God has been kind to you in that state. Greg, you need a revelation of my kindness while you're in that state. Otherwise, you will do that, and that's not my heart. I did not come to do that. I came to save, not condemn. That is a condemnation you put on someone else, and condemnation kills. Okay? There's no life in condemnation. There isn't conviction. Can you hear what I'm saying? So he then says, well, do you think like those, these riches, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? So the kindness, when a person receives through revelation, the kindness of God, which is love, love is kind, and you get awakened to the state that you were in. Oh my goodness, how can I ever judge another? doesn't matter what they're doing. How can I judge another when I am like my brother? Oh, well, no, no, I've not done what they're doing. We have a list, don't we? I'm better than you because I've never done that one. And God goes, oh, yeah, but I've got a list too. <laughs> have you seen my list? No, I don't. No, you don't have a list. Oh, yeah, I have a list. <laughs> hey, oh, who's that? That's you, Simnor. No, 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 no. Oh, that's my brother, Simnor. Oh, yeah, you almost had me there. That's Marty, Simnor. No, no, that's you, Greg. See, your name's on the top. 
This is why the power of revelation we must have, because otherwise we will live like this. And let's be honest, the church has lived like this in its self-righteous condemnation of itself and other people. That's not him. That's not him. And that doesn't mean we don't know how to live out truth. But love defines how we live out truth. Without trying to change truth, which the church is doing as well. We're redefining truth today. Making it palatable. Making it nice. We've got to lower the standard. Because people don't like the truth. Well, it doesn't really matter whether you like it or not. See, if you mess with truth, it can't set you free. So you always get what you've always got. But he's saying, my kindness. So there's a receiving of love, kindness. Now you don't think lightly of it. And so now you'll actually lead you into repentance. So there's a turning. The word ultimately repent means to have a complete change of thinking. Get a brand new mind. So now your brand new mind, which was Christ's mind, enables you to live fully in life. No longer the negative thoughts. No longer hearing the negative words. There's a process of change. You know what I'm saying? It's a process, but you have in Christ the potential to have the full mind of Christ, which means you're set free from all the thoughts and all the negative stuff that come because he's changing you to think like him. And Jesus lived in freedom his whole life. So now you no longer think lightly of the kindness of God. You've received it. You're changed through it, and you now live differently. Is that cool? Okay, let's go to Luke 7. I want to just show us an example of this through this cool story. Well, this reality, it's not a story. It happened. And it's, pick it up in verse 36. Just encourage you, everything I've said to this point, you'll see it in here. You'll hear it in here. Now, one of the Pharisees, just put one of the, a man who lived by a religious spirit, was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he, Christ, entered into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Who invites who into the house? In the story. So the religious guy invites Jesus into his house, yeah? And this other person, this woman, who is called a sinner, she learns about it. And so she goes to the Pharisee's house. This is really important. Because you can be present somewhere and never be present. You can even invite Jesus into your heart and never really be present that that's the reality that's happened. You can say, oh, come and be in a service, and he's here and he's doing some stuff, but although you're present, you're not presently present. You're somewhere else. Does that make sense? 
And this is what we're going to see here. You see, there are a whole lot of people in the room, but only two are presently present. Only two know what's going on. And the other, the other lot are like, Ooh, uh, uh, hearing a whole lot of stuff, but not hearing it at all. So they're not able to live out what was happening in the moment. And this lady comes knowing the kindness of God. So she is not going to experience it. She knows it. You see, she's able to actually, she's got the boldness to go into his house. Knock, knock, who's there? The sinner. Let me in. She's not like, oh, I shouldn't really go there. I shouldn't really be there. Why? Because I'm a woman. And women don't hang out with these types of people or a male. She's a sinner. She's looked down upon. You're about to hear. He's going to tell her. She's scum of the earth in the religious man's eyes. She doesn't care though. Why? Because she knows the kindness of God. See, she doesn't care. It trumps it all. It trumps the physical. It trumps the sexual or the gender issue. It trumps the political issue. It trumps every little bit of fear you've got. Death issue. When you know what you know and you know his kindness, you're here. I'm presently present, ready to receive. But see, she comes full of something, doesn't she? She doesn't come empty-handed. So she knows kindness, so she's coming full with an alabaster vial of the most expensive perfume. She's not coming empty-handed into the house of God, into the presence of God. She's coming with something because she knows the kindness of God. Can you see what this does? You get the kindness of God, all of a sudden you're coming full and you're coming to give. You're not coming to get, you're coming to give. You've got so much to give, not get, because you know the kindness of God. You know love. And love has created an empty vessel into a full vessel. So the full vessel only knows how to give now. And you're not even trying. You just give because it's like, you've got to have it. <laughs> it's so good. You've got to have some too. You want to share it. You're not holding it back. You can't hold it back because it's bubbling over. So you've got to give it. So she's there with her offering, her life and a tangible expression of that. Not just, I love you, Lord, this is all good. I'm there in that and, both and more. It's materialization. It's coming out. She's worked. She's, whatever she's done to get this, here it is. And as we've known, it's all part of the bridal reality of pouring this over him, preparation for his death, all these things. She knows things, man. Why? Because she knows love. And so she just lives out what she's knowing. She bought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing, listen, listen to her body position. This is, the, this is the body position of praise and worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords when you've received how kind he is. Save from your trespass. Save from sin and iniquity. Save from eternal damnation. How does that alter your worship? And I don't mean you're singing. I mean you're laying your life down. How does knowing that go, oh my goodness, wake up, Lord, here I am. So this is her, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet. They would have been smelly, stinky, dirty, and anointing them with perfume, but she doesn't care. 
Kindness takes you beyond the natural. Kindness propels you and catapults you into a realm out of a boat, walking on water going, how is this possible? I'm living something that my humanity never could. No, that's why you've just received the word. Is that what the word does? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So she's living this. Now it says in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee, the religious spirited man, who had invited him in, saw this, he said to himself, the the distaste in these words, if this man, so he doesn't start with the woman, he starts with Christ. If this man were a prophet, he would know who And what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner? What did Jesus say? I haven't come for the righteous. I've come for the sick. Mate, you are so far from the truth. It ain't funny. But you think you're of the truth. See, you think lightly of the kindness of God, so it hasn't even led you to repent. So you've got no idea who I even am. So when I turn up, you then crucify me. You are so out of it. You've got zero understanding, but you think. Where does your thinking take you? Has it taken you into abundant life or the same place it's always been? You see, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. And like I said before, if we're truly growing and maturing, then we're going to be thinking completely different. We're going to be sharing about the kindness of God. We'll know the mysteries of God. We will be constantly writing and talking everything God is showing us because there is so much he wants to show us. So if we're not, guys, we need to look at that and go, why? So here's this man, this religious man, grown up in the system. Have you grown up in the system? Have you grown up in the institution? Is all you know is institutionalized Christianity, which is not Christianity. It's religious systems thinking that create a religious life, but it doesn't enable you to live out the life because it's a form of godliness, but it lacks power. So when you're asked to live, you live for you. You always put you first ahead of when he asks. Well, I'll measure that cost up as to whether it's going to cost me something. See, that's the conversation that people who are still living have, not people who are dead have. People who have dead don't have conversations that people who are alive have because they are dead to the conversation and where the conversation leads. Can you hear what I'm saying? It's like it's a whole different conversation now. You know, we're only here to do the will of the Father, not our own lives. I have given my life at 29 to do someone else's will, not mine. I don't care. That stuff is dead. And if I chase it, I'm going to eat dead stuff, which means I'm not chasing God and his will. And that's where the life is, not that. So this woman is in this. And this other guy is in this. But he thinks he's in this. 
And Jesus is saying to him, pal, you're not in that, mate. You're so far from that, it ain't funny. You need to repent. We don't like that. Kill him. So the institution always kills the truth. But the truth loves on the institution. Because the truth is already dead. And you can't kill it. All it knows how to do is love. And this is this woman. How did she get her money? I don't know. It's thought she was a, maybe a prostitute, a woman of the night. I don't know. But it's somehow not stopping Jesus from loving her. Her behavior is not stopping her. She's understanding, coming into, and she's pouring out love because she knows his kindness. She knows who she is. She knows her track record. She knows how she used to live. Maybe that what propelled her into the reality of him. Because she had a good view of how disgusting she was, maybe to herself and a world, but then when something in her cried out from her innermost being, I sing a hallelujah, greater than my enemies. This man, I sing a hallelujah, greater than my unbelief. Something in her stirred her. You're my saviour. And she's found at his feet. Man, this is the church. This is to be us every time we gather. Letting the spirit, that place that's in you, that's sort of you but not you, if you can hear what I'm saying, go and have a listen to where that song came from and why it came And the man who wrote it said it came from the inner pit. When I'm looking at unbelief, when I'm staring at the monster of unbelief, he says, the song rose up on the inside of me. I sing a hallelujah to him. And out of it came Christ. The spirit comes out of him and a song comes. And now it's becoming an anthem. This is the woman because she knows kindness. And if you don't know kindness, let this come out of you today. Let go to that place where it's really hard to describe, but it's like your inner pit, your gut in the spirit that's not here, but here. And it's you, but you might not even know it's you yet. And the spirit that comes into your spirit, it cries and it's like a groaning you know what I'm talking about? It's like, a, it's like worse than giving birth. But like that, it's a groaning from the inner place. It's a crying. And all of a sudden, your spirit sings and cries and heaven hears. It activates the atmosphere of heaven and it comes and it fills because it's so drawn to the cry. It hears the heart. It hears the desperation. It hears the thirst. It hears the hunger of the heart. And it goes, I'm coming, man. I'm coming. I'm coming. Bang. And it's like, whoa, what was that? Life. And this man is so far from this. But Jesus came for the lost tribe of Israel. Jesus came for this man. And this woman is taking full advantage. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to say to you. He doesn't even tell him off. He's so kind. He should give him a lecture. He should go, mate, come here. But no, he gives him a parable. 
he should give him a good backhand. Was it the right hand of fellowship? The fivefold, not the poke. But Ian said the fivefold. He was the fivefold. He should have knocked them out. But no, he gives him a parable. I love the money. Then he's almost like, and he replied, "Oh yes, say it." What a, oh yeah, you're going to tell me I've been a good boy. You're going to tell me I got it right, aren't you? You're going to tell me my judgment on that woman was right. Jesus, you've realized you got it wrong, that she shouldn't be touching you, isn't it? That's what you're going to tell me. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you how far you've got it wrong, but in a parable. A money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, meaning both, were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Can you hear Romans now? In the judgment, don't judge another. He forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. Easy to give the right answer. Not necessarily easy to live it. Because he's not living it even though he can answer the question. Hear the hypocrisy in that? It's not about, you know we're in discipleship, it's not about just answering the questions. It's living the question. It's living in the answer. So don't fool yourself and go, oh yeah, I answered the question, so tick. Go, am I able to live this? Tick. Okay? And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning turning toward the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. See the gap between the one that's received kindness and the one that hasn't and the lifestyle difference? This is what he's really nailing. He's, he's not just saying you're bad because you're He's saying, hey, Simon, you're so far from this, it's not funny. But I'm here standing in front of you so you can get it today. It's like the woman at the well. She's got zero idea who he is. She's talking about living water, uh, sorry, and, uh, uh, natural water in a bucket. And she goes, well, where are you going to get your water? You've got no bucket, man. I'm the one with the bucket. He's like, what are you talking about? It's me. Hello, here I am. And I'm right in front of you, but you miss it. His truth is right in front of you today, but are you hearing it or missing it? See, it stands. He's right there. But that doesn't mean anything if you can't hear and see. Because a form of godliness doesn't hear and see, but it can go through motions. But this woman, she's in this kindness. She's in this thing. Jesus knows this. She knows it. And then he says this, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. You see, just the outcome of knowing how much you're forgiven is to love. She's not trying to love. She just loves. Because she knows how much she's been forgiven. She knows the kindness while she was in her state 
unable to rescue herself out of darkness, someone came in and rescued her out of darkness, brought her into light. So now the loving much, what does the love much look like? She brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, which is the sign of absolute spirit of humility, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. That's what it looks like to love much. And that is purely from the authority she knows from actually knowing the kindness of God because the authority she's in from knowing the kindness of God is what empowered her to walk into that room knowing she was going to be judged and maybe kicked out of the room and she shouldn't be in the presence of men and the religious men in the room. So it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? The kindness of God empowers you to worship with all, bringing your all, while at the same time it empowers you and you know who you are and you know what you can go after. So the physical things, laws, whatever, don't hold her back. That's the two becoming one. That is a powerful, powerful position to live your life on here on earth that is indestructible. And then it says this to finish it off. Uh, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven, he who doesn't really know just how much they've been forgiven, will love little. Which means we seriously need to know what we've been forgiven from and for. You see, we say things like this, and I love this, and this is what Todd White said, and if you know Todd White, he's had a pretty radical transformation. But people say to Todd White, oh, I wish I had your testimony. Okay? He says, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had your testimony, because then I'd believe. And what he says is this. He says, we all have the same testimony. You just don't believe. You see, you're looking at my life and you think because of my life, that's something. But when you realize and believe what the scripture says before any action is that in your sin and in your birth in the natural, you are this, meaning you are evil in nature, you're dead in your sin, you're dead in your trespass, you are dead and there is nothing in you that wants me. See, that is all our testimony. It doesn't matter whether you've been a druggie, whether you've gone what I went through, which is a divorce and have come that way. It's all irrelevant when you actually believe what the Scripture says. You don't need that testimony to have that life because if you just believe what the words say and ask revelation, you'll get it. So once again, it's a false reality, isn't it? And it sort of, once again, it brings everyone onto the same page that there are no special people We're all sinners, saved by God's power, called grace, that raises us from a dead person into a living person. But the reality of that has you loving much. Not the reality of that has you loving little. Do you know who you love a lot if you don't have the reality of that? Yourself. And if you love yourself, you live for yourself. But we're no longer called to love ourselves. We're called to love ourselves as Christ loves us. That's the brand new life, though. I love me, meaning the brand new Greg. I don't love the old Greg. 
So we need to understand that too. It's not, I need to love more of the old man. The old man is dead. I love who I'm becoming. But when you love God with all your heart, you're no longer loving you, which means you're no longer living for you because you're living for his will. And if every one of us made that decision today and we said, you know what? This is the day that I give it all and lay it all, then we can become more and more the church of the scriptures. But until that point, we won't be because we're living for ourselves. So we're giving a portion of, oh, I'll give you a bit there, I'll give you a bit there, but I'm really trying to hang on to my own life and I'm adding you on, you're not becoming my life. So we don't get the oneness that God wants to see in the body here and in the body. So he says, you know what? I've got to come and I've got to stand in front of you and say, you know what? I'm kind. I'm gentle. I'm patient. And I'm hoping that you're going to hear and see and get rescued out of the state and into me and live a whole life of abiding in me. So then the fruit of the abiding life in you, which you don't do, which I do, comes out of you just through being. So it becomes unconsciously conscious. And now you just flow in this brand new nature. Can you hear that? I'm not trying to be Christ-like. You just become Christ-like. It's almost like, man, it was said last night at the Connect Dinner. Before, I would have acted that way. Now, I acted that way, and it was almost like, I just acted differently. Flesh would have come out. But love came out. That's cool. So kindness. Let it lead you to repentance. Let repentance change the complete way you think. So then you'll live like him, knowing his will. Romans 12.2. Proving the good, pleasing, perfect will of the Father. And we'll do that as a body. Amen. Father, I thank you for your living word. I thank you, Father, for your life. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your patience. I thank you, Lord, that you're not jealous and you hold no wrong against us. Wow. (laughs) So we can receive more of you, more of you, to become like you, to walk in the manner in which you walk. Firstly, towards you, one another, and a lost world. May your power be the thing that resurrects us. May your power be the thing that changes us. May it be your power that enables us, Lord, to be these people through our surrender and our submission and our seeking with all we are and our pursuit of you. So we ask these things in the power of your name. Amen.